you have a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, open up your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. One of my favorite Christmas traditions growing up was watching all the Christmas specials that came on TV every year. We would watch Charlie Brown. We would watch Frosty the Snowman. We would watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And then several years a little bit later, I was about seven years old, we began watching How the Grinch Stole Christmas. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. That was a book. It was originally written by Dr. Seuss in 1957. And then it was made into a TV special 10 years later. And then in 2000, it became a movie. It was directed by Ron Howard. Remember Ron Howard? He was Opie on the Andy Griffin Show. And it starred Jim Carrey as the Grinch. It was nominated for two Oscars that year. Well, today we're starting a series that we're calling Christmas at the Movies. And what we're going to do is for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at a different Christmas movie. And we're going to discover some scriptural themes, some biblical themes from these Christmas movies. And the first one we're going to start off with is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Now, if you're not familiar with the book or you're not familiar with the movie, I'm sure most of you are, but I want to familiarize you with it if I can. And I'm going to do that by reading to you the book. I want you to listen to what it says. It says, Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's. Staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm, lighted windows below in their town. For he knew every who down in Whoville beneath was busy now hanging a mistletoe wreath. And they're hanging their stockings, he snarled with a sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. Then he growled with his Grinch's fingers, nervously drumming. I must find some way to stop Christmas from coming. For tomorrow he knew... All the who girls and boys would wake bright and early. They'd rush for their toys. And then, oh, the noise. Oh, the noise, 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 noise. That's one thing he hated, the noise, 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 noise. Then the who's, young and old, would sit down to feast, and they'd feast, and they'd feast, and they'd feast, 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 feast. They would feast on who pudding and rare who roast beast, which was something the couldn't, Grinch couldn't stand in the least. And then they'd do something he liked least of all. 
Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, would stand close together with Christmas bells ringing. They'd stand hand in hand, and the who's would start singing. And they'd sing, and they'd sing, and they'd sing, 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 sing. And the more the Grinch thought of this who Christmas sing, the more the Grinch thought, I must stop this whole thing. Why, for 53 years I've put up with it now. I must stop this Christmas from coming, but how then? He got an idea, an awful idea. The Grinch got a wonderful, awful idea. And I want you to watch what comes next.
So he had this plot to steal Christmas. And this is what comes next. Then he loaded some bags and some old empty sacks on a ramshackle sleigh, and he hitched up old Max. Then the Grinch said, get out, and the sleigh started down toward the homes where the Hoos lay a snooze in their town. All their windows were dark, quite snow filled the air, and the Hoos were all dreaming sweet dreams without care. When he came to the first little house on the square, this is stop number one. The old Grinchy claws hissed, and he climbed to the roof, empty bags in his fist. Then he slid down the chimney a rather tight pinch, but if Santa could do it, then so could the Grinch. He got stuck only once for a moment or two, then he stuck his head out of the fireplace flue where the little who stockings all hung in a row. These stockings, he grinned, they're the first things to go. Then he slithered and slunk with a smile most unpleasant around the whole room, and he took every present, pop guns and bicycles, roller skates and drums, checkerboards, tricycles, popcorn and plums, and he stuffed them in bags, and the Grinch very nimbly Stuffed all the bags one by one of the chimbley. Then he slunk to the icebox. He took the who's feast. He took the who pudding. He took the roast beast. He cleaned out the icebox as quick as a flash. Why, that Grinch even took their last can of who hash. Then he stuffed all the food up the chimney with glee. And now, grinned the Grinch, I will stuff up the tree. And the Grinch grabbed the tree and he started to shove when he heard a small sound like the coo of a dove. He turned around fast and he saw a small who, little Cindy Lou who, who was not more than two. The Grinch had been caught by this tiny who daughter who got out of bed for a cup of cold water. She stared at the Grinch and said, Santa Claus, why? Why are you taking our Christmas tree? Why? But you know that old Grinch was so smart and so slick. He thought up a lie and he thought up it quick. Why, my sweet little tot, the fake Santa Claus lied. There's a light on this tree that won't light on one side. So I'm taking it home to my workshop, my dear. I'll fix it up there, then I'll bring it back here. And his fib fooled the child. Then he patted her head, and he got her a drink, and he sent her to bed. And when Cindy Lou Who went to bed with her cup, he went to the chimney and stuffed the tree up. Then the last thing he took was the log for the fire. Then he went up the chimney himself, the old liar. On their walls, he left nothing but hooks and some wire. And the one speck of food that he left in the house was a crumb that was even too small for a mouse. Then he did the same thing to the other who's houses, leaving crumbs much too small for the other who mouses. It was quarter past dawn, all the who's still abed, all the who's still a snooze, but he packed up his sled, packed it up with their presents, the ribbons, the wrappings, the tags and the tinsels, the trimmings, the trappings. 3,000 feet up, up the side of Mount Crumpet, he rode with his load to the tip-top to dump it. Poo-poo to the Who's. He was grinchishly humming. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the Who down in Whoville will all cry boo-hoo. And I know you're wondering, why in the world is Rocky reading the Grinch who stole Christmas in church on Sunday morning. Why in the world are we watching clips from the movie The Grinch on Sunday morning? And the reason is, is because The Grinch teaches us a biblical truth that we see long before The Grinch was written, 
long before the movie ever came out. And it's found in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So if your Bibles are open, I want you to follow along as I read. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as he rose, as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophets wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back, tell me, so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and Great morning, Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. You see, Herod was the original Grinch. He was the very first Grinch. Now, if you don't know anything about Herod the Great, he was appointed the king of the Jews in 40 B.C. by Caesar Augustus. But the crazy thing about Herod the Great is Herod wasn't even a Jew. If you look down Herod's family tree, you find a lot of interesting names in his line. There's Herod Antipas, who was his son. He's the one who beheaded John the Baptist. There is Herod Agrippa I. He's the one who killed the apostle James. There's Agrippa II. He's the one that the apostle Paul shared the gospel with. And, and Agrippa II said, Paul, you have almost persuaded me to become a Christian. But the most interesting thing about Herod's family tree is Herod wasn't a Jew. Even though he was the king of the Jews, he was an Edomite. He came from the line of Esau. And Herod was an evil, wicked, terrible man. A.T. Robertson, who is the great Greek scholar, 
called Herod the great pervert. He had his mother, his, his, he had his wife, his mother-in-law, three of his sons killed because he felt that each of them were a threat. Just before his death, knowing that no one was going to mourn his death, he devised a plot that on the day that he died, they would kill the leading citizens of Jerusalem so that there would be mourning in the streets on the day he died. And so the day that Herod died, his soldiers killed all of the leading citizens of Jerusalem. And there was weeping and mourning throughout the city that day. Caesar Augustus said this about Herod. He said, I would rather be Herod's pig than one of Herod's sons. And we are told that when the wise men arrived in Jerusalem, that Herod was greatly disturbed. He was terribly disturbed in the people with him. Now, you can imagine why the people were disturbed. I mean, Herod was a crazy, maniacal tyrant. And if he was disturbed, no telling what he would do because he had done crazy things. And so all of the people were disturbed with Herod. So when Herod heard about this king that had been born, he called a meeting of all of the religious leaders and he asked them, where do the scriptures say that the Messiah, the king, is to be born. And they all said that he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was a city about, about six miles south of Jerusalem. It's the place where Jacob buried Rachel. It's the place where Ruth married Boaz. It was the hometown of David, the great king of Israel. And in Micah chapter 5, we are told that it is the place where the Messiah, the king who would rule and reign forever, would be born. And so the king, Herod, called the wise men in and he said, I want you to go to Bethlehem, find the king, and when you find him, come and tell me because I want to go and worship him as well. Well, that's not what Herod had in mind. Herod wanted to kill Jesus. He wanted to kill this newborn king. And so the wise men went to Bethlehem and, and they found the house where Jesus and Mary and Joseph were staying. And when they went in, the Bible says they were filled with joy and they bowed down before this little baby, this little child. They worshipped him. They, they adored him. And then they opened up their treasure chest and they gave him their treasures. And then God spoke to them and told them not to go back through Jerusalem, not to go and tell Herod. And so they went back to their home another way. And when Herod, when Herod found out about this, he was just angry. And he gave a decree that all of the children that were two and under in and around Bethlehem, the boys, would be put to death. He was going to do everything he could to make sure that that this newborn king would not ever rule and reign. Now, we learn a lot from Matthew chapter 2. A lot about Jesus' birth, a, a lot about the wise men, a lot about Herod. But, but the thing that I want you to see this morning is this. There are really only two responses to the king. There are only two possible responses 
to King Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you believe. You're going to respond to King Jesus in one of these two possible ways. Now, the first way we can respond is to be disturbed. We will be disturbed. That's what Herod was. He was disturbed when he heard about Jesus. Now, why was he disturbed? Well, the reason is because he heard that there was a newborn king. And if there was a newborn king, that meant that Herod would no longer be king. Herod would no longer be in control. And Herod's main motivation was to stay in control. Herod didn't want anyone else to sit on the throne. The throne was reserved for him. And so Herod was willing to do anything and everything to make sure that he stayed on the throne. Everything, including killing all the little boys two years old and under. And to be honest with you, I think the same thing is true today. I think the same thing is true in our lives today. I mean, why else would would 90% of Americans celebrate Christianity Christmas and and why would Christianity be the dominant religion in America and yet Jesus is hardly ever mentioned during the Christmas season in the public square anymore why is it that that the word Christmas has been removed from the vocabulary of many people and many businesses and replaced with with happy holiday I mean why is that why are we so afraid to say Christ to say Christmas? Why are we so concerned about admitting that Jesus is the reason for this season? I mean, think about all the other religious leaders throughout the world and throughout history. Not another religious leader that has ever come and gone causes us to have the kind of emotions that we have when we think about Jesus. Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, all the rest of these religious leaders, they're not, they, they're not tried to, society doesn't want to remove them from the public square. We can talk about them. We can acknowledge them. But when it comes to Jesus, it seems like we aren't to talk about him anymore. And, and why is that? I can tell you why. Because if the story of the Bible is true, if in the beginning God created, that means that there is a sovereign God who is all-powerful, who created us and is over us. If it is true, it means that there is someone who knows more than we do. If it is true, it means that he is able, not us, to determine right from wrong. If Jesus was was born of a virgin, if Jesus died on a cross, that means that that we are sinners. It, It means that we have rebelled against our creator. It means that we have chosen our way over his way. It means that we need a savior that we can't save ourselves. I mean, if Jesus is this king, it means that we aren't in control. 
It means that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It means that every one of us must yield control of our lives to him. It means that you don't get to make the rules. I don't get to make the rules. You don't get to sit on the throne. I don't get to sit on the throne. He sits on the throne. And and the truth is, people don't like that. The truth is, we don't like that. I mean, we like talking about Jesus, the little baby, born in a manger in Bethlehem, all cuddly and sweet and cooing. We love that story. But when we're told that Jesus is a king who rules over our lives, we have a problem with that. If you don't believe me, tell someone they don't have a right to abortion. Tell them that God created that baby for a reason and see what happens. See how they will react. If you don't believe me, tell someone that that they don't have a right to choose their sexual identity. That God chose that for them. That we're created male or female. Tell them that and see how they react. If you don't Believe me, tell someone that their sexual practices are immoral, that they're an abomination to the creator who made them, and see what happens. If you don't believe me, tell someone that that they don't have a right to live selfish, extravagant, greedy lives when people all around the world are dying of malnutrition and a lack of the basic necessities of life, and, and then see what happens. Tell them that the king gets to choose how they live and see what happens. Tell them that that we are sinners with no hope apart from a savior and see what happens. You see, the reality is King Jesus is still disturbing people today. Because when Jesus comes, he doesn't come to share his throne. He comes to sit on the throne and take over. And unfortunately, we love the throne. We love how it feels. We love being able to decide for ourselves what's right and what's wrong, how we're going to live. We love that. But you see, if Jesus is king, we're not able to do that. And so there are some who are disturbed by Jesus. But then second, we can be devoted to Jesus. And that's what the wise men were. They were these men from a foreign land. They weren't Jews, so they weren't looking for the Messiah, but they were searching for truth. And here's what the Bible says. It says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's what these wise men were doing. They were searching for truth. And remember what Jesus said, I am the way I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And when these wise men saw Jesus, this little child, for the very first time, they realized that this little child is the way. This little child is the truth. This little child brings life. And I'm sure they didn't understand everything, but they understood enough their lives were changed. Notice their responses. First of all, they bowed down. They fell down before God. 
what was that showing us? They were submitting. They were surrendering their lives to him. These men of prominence, these men who had an entourage following them, were on their faces before a little baby pledging their allegiance to him. They were surrendered. Once they surrendered, they worshipped. They adored him. And that's what worship is. Worship is adoration that causes us to put God first in our lives. They bowed down. They surrendered. They worshiped. And, and then out of that worship flowed generosity. They gave their treasures to God. They held nothing back. You see, there's only two responses to the message of Christmas that a king has been born. We're either going to be disturbed because we like the throne or we're going to become devoted, surrendering, worshiping, giving our all to him. Now, which one are you? Which one represents you? Well, let me continue to read. Remember where we stopped? The who is on the top of Mount Crumpet, he's listening because he wants to hear the who's cry, boo-hoo. This is what it says. That's a noise grin the Grinch that I simply must hear. So he paused and the Grinch put his hand to his ear. And he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry, very he stared down at Whoville. The Grinch popped his eyes. Then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every Who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or another, it came just the same. And then the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so it came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart Grew three sizes that day. And the minute his heart didn't quite feel so tight, he whizzed with a load through the bright morning light, and he brought back the toys and the food for the feast, and he, he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beast. I want you to watch this clip.
So what changed in the Grinch? His heart. His heart changed. That changed everything. The Bible says this. It says that God can take our stony hearts and give us hearts of flesh. God can change our hearts. If he can change the Grinch's heart, he can change anybody's heart, right? He could have changed Herod's heart. Unfortunately, Herod didn't want that heart change. He wanted to sit on the throne. But if you're willing to get off the throne, God will change your heart. Now, in a crowd this size, I'm sure there's somebody that's never given Jesus the throne of their heart. You've never truly surrendered to his, his control in your life. And you see, being a Christian isn't just knowing the facts about who he is and being able to tell the Christmas story and the Easter story and the other stories in between. No, being a Christian is, is surrendering your life to him. Which causes you to worship him and adore him and put him first. Which will result in, in you even giving your treasures to him. It changes your heart. Has your heart been changed? If it hasn't, it can be. But the first step is surrender. And so would you bow your head with me? Would you close your eyes with me? And if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus then today, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past may look like, if you're willing, you can surrender to Jesus and give him control and he'll give you a brand new heart. You can pray this prayer to him right now if that's your desire. Dear Jesus, I humbly come to you today acknowledging that I am a sinner. I've been living as if I were on the throne been wanting to be the king of my life. I'm sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death for me. And today, I'm turning from sin. I'm placing my trust in you. I'm giving you control of my life, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. From this moment on, I want to live for you. Thank you for hearing me, Jesus. Thank you for saving me.